0: Good morning. Good morning, my name is Chris, I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and we're grateful to have each of you here today worshiping. For those of you watching New City Live, we're grateful to be joining you wherever you might be today. We're continuing in a series through the book of Ephesians, and so if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to go ahead and be thumbing over to the book of Ephesians, and we'll get there in just a moment. Before we do, I do want to give a little bit of uh, New City family news up front. We were able to put on a book fair the last couple of weeks at our two partners, schools here in CMS on the east side of the city, Idlewild Elementary and Greenway Park Elementary. uh, Two great schools that we've been partnering with for many years. And I just wanted to show you a couple of pictures of some of the smiling faces and the kids that you were able to bless through your generosity. 1,500 students uh, were a part of this, 7,500 books that were provided. Every student got five books to take home with them and we're hitting on several literacy markers of being able to pick your own book, uh, take a book home and read during the summer. All of us as parents are familiar with the summer slide. Uh, when we get out of school and don't read for eight to 10 weeks at a time, uh, we regress. But hopefully uh, part of giving books to kids is to encourage them to read. And I can tell you just serving there that many of the students not only picked books for themselves, but this was such a blessing to see them pick books for their siblings. Uh, and to take home as well for them to read over the summer. So thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, one more story, uh, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Uh, one of the uh, second grade teachers at Greenway Park Elementary, when we were serving there, uh, she brought her class in to, to get their books. And as uh, a student that we had at our church for years and years, uh, who grew up at New City, went off to, to Vanderbilt and got her, uh, got her education degree and wanted to come back and teach in a Title I school at Greenway Park because she grew up in the church serving there and is now a teacher in second grade and brought her kids as the teacher to participate in the book fair this year. So that was an incredible blessing to see not only a a legacy of service to our two partner schools, uh, but kids from our own church uh, growing up with a heart to serve. And you'll recognize, you know, out in the 40 when we leave today, one of our four values is that servant leadership uh, is our offering. Uh, The greatest gift that we can give to a, a lost city and world is the gift of servant leadership, of leading through our acts of kindness and grace and service to people. Jesus said, let them see your good works so they'll glorify your Father who is in heaven. So our good works lead to goodwill that ultimately gives us a platform to share the good news of Jesus. So thank you for being a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege, and it is a privilege to be able to serve you. You told us that when we've done for the least of these, we've done unto you. So however many days we have left together, may they be days that are filled with walking in your spirit and leading through our service to others. May our acts of kindness be a light to the world that points ultimately to the light of the world, Jesus. May our acts of kindness and service in our city and around the world be a platform to share the the unchanging truth of the gospel that God loves us and that God paid the penalty for us that we could not pay for ourselves through Christ. This morning we pray for our world that is full of darkness. Every morning we're awakened to more news of death, of destruction and of pain. We intercede this morning for those who grieve and who are hurting. And Father, we know that the days are evil. You told us that, that the days are evil. And so we are to be alert and to be looking for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel in the days that we have. You told us in the last days that you will pour out your spirit upon all people that our sons and our daughters will prophesy, that our, that our sons will dream dreams, that old men will, will, will have visions to share with, with others about your kingdom. And so, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would share your good news through our, through our words, through our works, and that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many of you... How many of you have seen, just a a, a poll here, have seen the Grand Canyon in person with your own eyes? Whoa, I never have. Um, I need to go. I need to go with one of y'all. I've I've flown over it and seen it. I mean, the Grand Canyon, for those who have been there, you know, is just this massive chasm, right? Um, It's 277 miles long. um, At its widest part, it's 18 miles wide. And it averages a mile in depth from top to bottom. Just, just incredible. And I want us to begin here this morning as we study in the book of Ephesians because this great chasm, the Grand Canyon, is nothing compared to the Grand Canyon that exists spiritually for many people between their personal faith, what they believe about Jesus, their journey with Jesus, and their home and workplace. One of the greatest chasms that exist is between personal faith and living that out, if you will, at home and at work. But here's the deal, bottom line today, if you don't take anything else away from this message, I hope that you'll take this, that Jesus wants to live in our home and at our work. And the passage today is all about that. Again, if you want to open your scriptures to Ephesians 6, that's where we'll be. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about the final chapter in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul is busy unpacking how we're meant to live out our faith. You'll remember that the second half of the book is all about putting our faith into practice. And we've been talking about these primary relationships as we kind of round the turn towards home and finishing the book that Paul wants to talk about relationships and how we live out our faith within the context of relationship. And I want to begin here, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, but I want to take us back to Ephesians 5 just in context and thinking about how we live. Because I think that the key to every godly relationship is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Allow me to read it to you this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it from my Bible, okay. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, listen to this, he loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And we just leave the passage up here for just a second. All right, because I think this is, this is godly relationships 101. Okay, Christian relationships 101. And it begins with imitating God. There's so many things culturally for each of us that are pulling us in different directions and want us to imitate them. And so many different images about different relationships and what they should look like. And Paul says all of our relationships should be built on this solid foundation. And it begins with imitating God and not other people. So many of us are in relationships where we're trying to imitate those people. And we're trying to gain something from other people that they don't have to give And Paul says, as a Christ follower, for those of you in the room today, for those of you watching who are followers of Jesus, he says, every godly relationship begins here with imitating God in everything that you do. Because why? Verse one. Because you're dearly loved children. And so this is a statement about identity. That all of our identity flows primarily from our identity with God. And if you're going into a relationship and trying to acquire identity from someone else, it's always going to be found lacking. And so Paul says, as we enter into relationships, no matter what the relationship might be, we start with imitating God in everything that we do. And then we recognize that we're dearly loved children, that I'm a son, that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High King, And that's my identity. And I carry that identity into every other relationship. Last week we talked about the marriage relationship and how as husband and wife, but you can talk about the two points at the bottom of a triangle, whatever the relationship is. The more those two look to Jesus, the closer they get with one another. And the same is true in our relationships with every person. And it begins with understanding that we imitate God and that we're dearly loved children, that our identity is brought with us into a relationship. We don't get our identity from a relationship. We could probably just stop right there. If you're trying to get your identity, you're trying to import your identity from any other person other than Jesus, it's going to be found wanting and so Paul says, you operate in every relationship based on the fact that you're already a child of God. You're dearly loved children. And oh, that we, New City, could grasp that together. That you start at finish together with God. Jesus said, it's finished. What is finished? The work of salvation for you. And so now we start as dearly loved children at the finish line because of Jesus. And we now operate and we live and we move and we have our being in this world from a place of being dearly loved children. Maybe you grew up in a home today and we're gonna talk about the family relationship where you didn't feel like you were a dearly loved child. And you need to hear a word today from Paul that you are dearly loved children. And you need not look beyond what Christ has done for you to see the proof that you're loved. And moreover, the third thing he says here again, Christian Relationships 101, is to live a life filled with love. Verse two, the first part of verse two, to live a life filled with love. And love, it's interesting, love fills the container that it's given to fill. So just like a plant, if you put a plant in a small container, it's only going to grow to a small width and a small height. But the larger container that you put your plant in, the larger it's going to grow and love's the same way. The more space in your heart that you give the Lord to occupy, the more love will occupy that space. And for some of you, there's rooms in your heart where you've posted a sign like some of my kids do not enter. This is my space. God, you can go in these three rooms, but you can't come here. But love fills the space that it's given. And so the more places in your life, including especially your relationships, the more God's love will fill those spaces. And here's the fourth thing, okay? Fourth thing, follow the example of Jesus. So when in doubt in relationships, Follow the example of Jesus. And Paul says, here's what he did. He sacrificed for us. Look at verse two, Ephesians chapter five. He gave his life for us. He sacrificed for us. He thought of others more highly than he thought of himself. He put others first and he served other people. And this was an aroma. Did you know that God has nostrils? This was an aroma that was pleasing to God. The way that Jesus lived and moved, the way he sacrificed for us was an aroma pleasing to God. And may that be true of all of our relationships, that they don't stink, but they're an aroma that's pleasing to God. Because we imitate God in everything we do. We're dearly loved children. We operate from a place of identity, not for identity. We live a life filled with love in every space of our heart and relationship, nothing is off limits. Some of you are in relationships right now and they're off limits to God. And it is that Grand Canyon where you're pursuing Jesus in this compartment or room of your life, but in this room of your heart and your life, Jesus isn't allowed to be there. And God wants to occupy every space of your heart. And here's the deal, guys, and I've had to learn this the hard way too, and I still have to learn this. Jesus is not going to fit in your container. Your box that you try to put him in, he'll break out of every single box. If you try to put Jesus in your pocket and carry him around and pull him out when you need him, he won't fit there. He's not going to be contained in that way. He fills the spaces that we allow him to and he breaks through into those spaces because he wants to be in every single part of our heart and relationship. And then finally, we follow the example of Christ. He modeled for us what godly relationships are meant to look like. Christian Relationships 101, and that brings us to the second primary relationship that Paul wants to talk about, really the second and the third, at home and at work. Our passage today is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and much like last week, if you missed, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. This is a controversial passage, and you'll see why in just a moment, but we're going to teach through it, and part of the reason why we teach through it is because it's there, you know, Tim Keller says, why, do you, why does a, a climber climb a mountain? Because the mountain's there. And when we come to passages like this, it's important for us to not just skip over and get to what we think are the good parts, but to be able to unpack and understand why it's there and what's being said and what's meant by it. Some of you may, may have recognized just to, just to take a moment here that you know, we go through books of the, of the Bible, primarily here at New City. And the reason why we do that is because we wanna systematically walk through the scriptures. And then there's a few times during the year where we'll talk about a pastoral concern or issue, like relationships or, or something like that. We'll teach about giving. We'll teach about uh, church leadership and vision. But primarily we're doing... Uh, Uh, walking through the scriptures and we're doing that in two different ways just so you know if you're following along we'll do a new testament book we'll do an old testament book Uh, so this coming year we'll talk about the book of judges in the fall and then in the spring we'll talk about the book of james and we've done that uh, for the last several years and that's why we're walking through the book of ephesians and when we get to passages like this difficult passages it's important to understand how god is speaking through them and to understand the context of them as well so when that in mind i'm going to invite you if you're able if you're able Uh, to stand to your feet and let's read the scripture um, from Ephesians chapter six, verses one through nine. And I'm gonna read it. And our team and I talk about this all the time. I read it, I'd love for you to read it, but I'll start jumbling the words up and I'm not a good line leader. So I'm gonna read it, but if you wanna kind of just say it to yourself you're, you're welcome to but um, i've learned my lesson in trying to lead readings that I, I typically mess it up so i don't want to mess it up for you um so l- hear the word of god to you this morning ephesians 6 1 through 9. children obey your parents because you belong to the lord and this is the right thing to do hallelujah right hallelujah. let's pray together yes none of my kids are down here this morning i don't know if they're coming to the 11 o'clock or not honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise, fifth commandment. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you'll live a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Finally, verses 8 and 9. Remember, remember that the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. Again, many of us struggle with a passage like this. We're going to get to the word slavery and talk about that in the context. But one of the struggles with this passage as well is the gap, again, the chasm that exists between our personal faith, our pursuit of Jesus, and our home life and our work life. Many of us think that, you know, the people that know me best, that see the good, the bad, and the ugly that maybe I forfeit my platform to share about my faith or integrate my personal faith at home or at work, the people that see me at my best and oftentimes at my worst. Any of you struggle with that? You think maybe I have forfeited my place to, to share with my family or at my workplace because of some way that I've behaved or something that I've done or something they know about me. I wanna encourage you today uh, as we listen to this passage, I think back on Jesus and the woman at the well. You say, so how does that tie in? Well, if you go back and read John chapter 4, this great story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day because she probably didn't want to interact with people and getting, drawing water from the well. And he has this incredible conversation with her and he says, if you only knew the gift that God had for you, you wouldn't ask me for water from this well. You'd ask me for living water and they kind of go back and forth. And then she goes into her town or village to her family where she lived, where she worked. And this is how she describes Jesus. I want you to hear this. You remember this? This is how she she describes Jesus and their interaction. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I want you to think about that. Oftentimes we think the people that know us most, if you knew me, here's the lie that many of us believe in relationships. If you knew me, you wouldn't really love me. And the more you get to know me, the good, the bad, the ugly, my past, you know, things that I've done, the more you get to know me, the the, the less you'll respect me or you'll love me. And here's the Samaritan woman who is so encouraged by meeting the Messiah, by meeting Jesus and the way she describes Jesus to her friends and her family. And indeed the entire village is by saying, come meet someone who told me everything that I ever did and still loved me. Your faith and integrating your faith at home is not about being a perfect person. It's not about being a perfect mom or dad or child. It's not about being a, a perfect cousin or aunt or uncle or whatever the relationship is in your family, your extended family. God, see, here's the deal. God doesn't just change our stories God doesn't just take an eraser and erase everything you've ever done in the the past. From a sin perspective, he does, he wipes it out. But here on earth, as we tell our story, it's not about about just saying, hey, that never happened. It's about taking your full story. I want you to think about that. The, The things that you don't want anybody else to know about, God knows about. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. And that's the gospel. Come meet a man that told me everything I ever did and still offered me living water. And this should inform the way that we move into our work and into our homes and the people that know us best, that we shouldn't be ashamed of the things that have, passed, uh, have, have happened in our past. Instead, we should come and share them with humility and say, even in spite of all that, God loved me. And he did more than just wipe it all out or not talk about it. He transformed my story into a testimony of his grace and his goodness That even in spite of all the things I ever did, God still loved me. And maybe one of the best ways that we can integrate our faith and our home life particularly is through the word grace. That we're able to explain God's grace to our children, to our family members and say, yes, I was a knucklehead. Yes, I did all of those things and more. There's there's so much more you don't even know about that I did. And God loved me anyway. And God met me in that place and he did so much more than just say, hey, just forget about it, we'll never talk about it. He transformed that into a, a story, a testimony that I can tell you about God's grace and about his forgiveness. And so I, I, I have a feeling that I'm talking to someone in the room this morning that has, has bought into the lie that there has to be this big canyon between my personal faith and belief in Jesus and my home life because of all the things I've ever done. And actually, all of that is bridged by the work of Jesus and it's even more powerful, the work of Jesus is as you share your full story and say, in spite of all that, come meet a man who, who told me everything I ever did and still loved me. Paul writes about specific relationships in the home and he does begin with children. And he says, children, look at verse one. He says, children, obey your parents, right? Obey your, 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 your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do and honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise. I wanna talk about this for just a second as we teach through the passage. The word here in the Greek for children is techna, which is most likely not referring to small children. It's actually probably referring to adolescent children, that children are, that are in that tween stage and maybe even younger children who are still living at home, who would, for us, 18 or older, who would have moved out that are still living in their home because in the first century, you would add on to a a family's home. Uh, So you would, when Jesus says uh, in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions, the word is actually rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Actually, what it is, is God's not making a mansion for you in heaven that stands alone on a hill so you can look down and throw rocks at all the people that weren't as good as you. Not that anyone's ever thought about that. Um, Actually, what Jesus is saying is a first century understanding that a groom would go and prepare a, a room for his bride in the family's house. And would add on to the, to the house. And so in our context for our passage today, what Paul is most likely addressing, the group that he's addressing are adolescents and those who are still living at home technically. And he's talking about their relationship with their parents. And he uses the word obey. And the word obey means to do as you are told. And all of this, again, is predicated on, on being a dearly loved child of God as parents and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to parents in just a little bit. And in that ordering, he says, you should follow your parents. You should listen to them. You should, you should do what they're asking you to do. I want to just make a couple of observations here that when Paul's writing this uh, to Techna, to children who are listening, they're, they're hearing the letter read as well. He's, he's assuming that as he's writing the book of Ephesians, that they're hearing this. Now, what can we inference from that? That when children get to a certain age, again, he's probably not writing to, to small children, but when children get to a certain age, they should be listening to God's word with their parents. Now, I, I don't know if this is a, you know, a, a prescription for every family, but I would say that when your kids get to an age and a stage when they're able to hear the word of God that they sit with you, and that you're able to take it and then in the car and at the table to talk about it, you know, for, for us, we don't do, and some of you may not like this, but we don't do middle school and high school on Sunday morning because we want our middle schoolers and high schoolers to be in the room and to be listening to God's word together. We give a lot of opportunities to serve, and then we have our student ministry on Sunday evenings. And I'm not saying it'll be that way forever and ever, amen, but part of the reason why we do that is that kids need to hear the word of God with their families when they get to a certain age and be, need to be able to hear it and to understand it. And Paul seems to inference here that all of these children are listening to this word and he's giving them a specific instruction to obey your parents. For children, I, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, what if I grew up in a home uh, where my parents weren't Christ followers? All of this is predicated on parents being Jesus followers and living in a way that glorifies God. And so what Paul is not saying is that you need to be subservient to domineering parents or abusive parents, Never. What he's saying is as parents love their children and lead their children in the way that he's ordained for them to, that children should obey their parents and follow along with them. And why? Why should they do this? Well, he gives three reasons. Look at verse one. He says, you belong to the Lord, that your life is not your own, that you belong to the Lord. Secondly, he says, it's the right thing to do. Let's just start there. It's the right thing to do. It's the way that God ordained this. And then thirdly, he, he quotes from the 10 commandments, the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. And the promise that's given in the 10 commandments is that you'll live in the promised land, the land of, of Canaan. Now he kind of um, generalizes that to, to live in the land, to, to basically uh, possess the life that God has given to you and the purpose that he's given to you begins at home. And and to receive the promises that God has for you fully in this life begins with obeying your parents at home. There's so much that can be learned there. Now, the word honor, honor your father and mother, honor means to respect and to love. And more than likely, what Paul is referring to is as you come out of your parents' house or as you get older, you move from obedience to honoring, and this is, again, in the right order of things, this is a lifelong pursuit. It, it doesn't mean that you need to be subservient to people who are domineering or abusive or parents who are not following Jesus and living that out in the way that they parent. But what Paul is saying is, when things are ordered rightly and are going rightly according to Christ, even as we age, even as we get older, especially as we get older, we honor our father and our mother. We respect them and we love them, even if we don't agree with them in everything, guys, which is okay It's okay to not agree, and we can still love and honor even when we don't agree, and we need to model that not just in our families, but to our world right now. Our world thinks that if we don't agree on every single thing, that we can't love each other, and what the family models is that we can disagree on all kinds of things, and we can still respect and love one another, and that's what Paul is talking about And then he speaks to parents. And the way he does that, follow along with me here in verse four, again, chapter six, he says, "'Fathers, do not provoke your children.'" Uh, to be angry by the way you treat them. My kids would be saying amen here. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, I wanna address here the word father because Paul uses that word. Why would he say father? Why wouldn't he say mothers and fathers? Well, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman first century, fathers were in charge of the discipline and instruction of their children. And you may say, well, I don't wanna agree with that. Okay, we're gonna get to something else that we don't wanna agree with here in a little bit. But Paul is, is addressing the context that is in Ephesus. And so he as he writes the letter, he's saying, in this context, I'm writing to fathers, but now we can today, of course, say, yes, this is parents, moms, and dads that we're in charge of the education and the discipline of our children, and we can apply it rightly that way. And the first thing he says here is, don't provoke your kids to anger by the way you treat them. Now what does he mean by that? Well, I think it means excessive rules, harsh demands. And some of you grew up in homes like this, an abuse of authority, uh, humiliating your children. My heart is with many of you today that your parents humiliated you with their words. And Paul is writing against that here uh, of being insensitive to your child's needs. And Paul says, don't, don't, don't do that. You've gotta be, uh, if, if there's one word that kind of pops off the page here in this instruction in verse four, it's being attuned What does that mean? It means being aligned and understanding with the needs of your children, being attuned to their heart. Some of you are familiar with the passage, Proverbs 22.6. You may wanna jot that down. Bring up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. And some of us, especially those of us with teenagers right now, we're holding on to that promise because we don't see the full fruit of that. But you know, the word there in Proverbs 22.6 is bring up a child in their bentness. And the Hebrew word bentness means like a a stick that you would pick up from the ground today. And you'll see the way it's bent and shaped. And what it means is to look at your child and their bentness the way that God has shaped their heart and their life. The way that he's wired them up in their personality. We have three children, they're so different. They're, they're raised in the same family with the same rules. So different, different struggles, different challenges, different ways that things are they're easy for them and harder for others. They're bent in certain ways. And so what God is saying in Proverbs 22, six is, find the way that your child is bent. Find the way that, that God has shaped them and encourage them in the Lord in that. And when they're old, they'll remember that and they won't depart from that way. And that's the promise that we hold on to as grandparents and as parents as we find their bentness and we encourage them in that and we train them in that that when they get older, they won't depart from that way. And my heart is with so many of you that you haven't seen the fruit of that yet in your kids' lives. And all I know to say as a pastor and as a, follow, a fellow parent with you on the journey is we keep praying and we keep trusting the Lord for his promises and his goodness for our children, for our grandchildren. One thing that I would share practically that I've, I've shared with so many parents that I'm trying to live out myself as a parent is an equation that I've been teaching for years. And maybe there's, this is the one thing you need to hold on to today as we think about the, the relationship at home and bridging the gap between our faith and our homes. And it's R minus R equals R. Have you heard, have you heard this before? Some of you have heard me say this before. It's a powerful equation for parents and for grandparents, for any family members as we're helping to raise the next generation of Christ followers. R minus R equals R. Here's what it is. Rules, first R, rules minus a relationship equals rebellion. Rules minus a relationship equals rebellion. Now, let me just give a disclaimer. Even if you have a relationship, you're still probably gonna experience some rebellion. But you can be guaranteed, and we can see this from the biblical narrative, that when people just experience rules and they never experience a relationship, it leads to a stiff arm and rebellion. Even in the context of the Ten Commandments, the fifth one that that Paul quotes here, the commandments were given in the context of a saving relationship with the people of God. The Ten Commandments were given after the Exodus. And it was given to keep free people free. Rules were given to help put boundaries in place to keep God's people free. And we need boundaries and we need rules. Literally, guys, we, I went to bed last night with one of ours at, our, at our, uh, the bed of our foot telling us how unfair our rules are, if anybody is, has, has been there, and how much uh, freedom they needed and how we're just squashing all of their, their, their freedoms. And I'm literally in bed reading the passage And getting it into my heart before this morning, and we have one at the foot of our bed saying, why are you wanting to take away all of my freedoms? Boundaries are important, but here's the thing. Boundaries and rules without a relationship oftentimes lead to rebellion. And some of you have been on that journey in your own life. And some of you were on that journey spiritually where you thought that everything in your relationship with God is about rules and keeping all the rules. And it's caused you to step away from your faith. And the reality is that God wants to pursue a relationship with you by grace through faith because of his love for you. And it's out of his love for you that God puts boundaries and instructions in a place to keep free people free. But rules never make us free. Rules keep us free. Boundaries keep us free as God's people, as children as well. So rules minus a relationship equal rebellion. And I know, again, as a fellow parent with many of you and grandparents and aunts and uncles in the room this morning who are trying to shepherd uh, kids who are struggling, particularly those technos, the, these middle uh, ages that can be very, very difficult, the adolescent years, is finding a way into the heart of your kids. So it might be through a, our 17 year old son, it's food. I mean, it's, it's any kind of fried food, chicken, anything. Um, that's what he wants to do, he wants to eat food. So we'll go eat food together. Um, he's getting into golf, thank goodness, and we'll go play golf together. Um, for my girls, it's, it's anything that has a price tag on it. Uh, they, they love that. <laughs> so it's going and, 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 and looking at clothes or looking at whatever, and I found myself at a, at a shop a couple of weeks ago t- so uncomfortable um, as they looked around and I was the only dude in there. But I, I want to just show them that I'm interested in your world. And, and I wanna be here. And, and really, guys, what it is, it's all a backdrop and an excuse to spend time together and to have permission to speak into the hard places of their life. And again, I, I say this as a fellow pilgrim with you who hasn't done everything right. I've, I've messed this up so many times. I've probably been too excessive in, in rules. I've, I've, I've probably been too harsh at times with my words And again, I come back to the come meet a man who told me everything I ever did and grace being the way to bridge the gap between our faith and and our families of being able to say these words that your kids probably need to hear more than anything else from you, that they'll remember more than anything else you could ever say to them, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Dad doesn't always get it right. I'm on a journey with you. I need God's forgiveness too. Would you forgive me? I wanna do better. I wanna do better with God's help. I'll probably mess up again. Would you forgive me? Kids remember that. And they, 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 they begin to understand that it's, life is not about being perfect. It's about being a dearly loved child of God and modeling that out in our relationships. All right, we need to move on here. The last part, uh, at work. So Paul talks about parents and kids and their relationship and then he talks about work. And he uses a word here that is shocking and has grabbed so many headlines and again it'd be easy to just sort of let's just skip over this and move on to the armor of God which we're going to get to in the next few weeks but we need to talk about this the word slavery and masters that Paul uses and I want to say a couple things about this before we get uh, into the principles that I think of what Paul is really saying you need to understand in the first century uh, Roman world over six million people were enslaved different types of slavery. It could be that upwards of half of the church at Ephesus that were reading this letter, were hearing this uh, letter read to them, were enslaved in some form or fashion. We don't know for sure, but we know that slavery was prevalent in that time. It's important to say, before we get into the principles of what Paul is communicating here, that slavery is wrong. And Paul is not winking at it. In fact, there are multiple places in the scriptures where Paul speaks against the subjugation of people in any form or fashion. And what you need to understand is that the gospel, the narrative of the gospel, always moves towards freedom. Not just freedom spiritually, but freedom physically. In 1 Corinthians chapter seven, another letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he encourages those who are enslaved in any kind of way to seek their emancipation and their freedom. He tells Philemon in his letter to him that Onesimus, he must consider him a, a brother now and an equal to him. Onesimus was a, was a slave and, and Paul says, you shouldn't treat him that way. You should treat him as a, as a free person. It's important to observe that Paul never gives a, a theological foundation like he does for marriage and for, for children and for parents. He never gives any kind of theological backing or support for slavery. Paul is simply instructing Christ followers here in this letter how to live in the broken confines and constructs of the society that they're living and operating in. Paul affirms the value of human freedom over and over and over again. And most importantly, the way that he does that is one of the most basic theological understandings for us as Christ followers. And that is that every single person is made in the image of God. And because every person is made in the image of God, they carry the dignity of God wherever they go. And moreover, whenever you look into the face of someone, young or old, black or white or brown, um, uh, male or female, whatever their ethnicity, you're seeing a glimpse of God himself. And so it's always wrong, and it needs to be stated here to subjugate any person. Moreover, many people who have done the hard work of liberating others and fighting for other people drew from the gospels. Wilberforce, Martin Luther King, all drawing from the narrative of the gospel, of moving people from subjugation to freedom. And you may not recognize today that there are more slaves today in some form or fashion, people who are not living in freedom than there ever have been at any other time in the history of the world. Some 30 to 40 million people, even in this moment, find themselves in a subjugated relationship. And many Christians are working to end that it's important to also recognize that Paul treated all people, men, women, children, parents, grandparents, slave, free, as equal in the church. And he's writing to them as equals. And that's important to understand. And with that being said, let me just give a brief teaching as we finish about I think what really is the principle here, what Paul is talking about your work and those who oversee workers. And for for our principle and understanding today, workers, he says, should work as if they're working for the Lord. And so no matter what your profession is, no matter who you report to, what Paul says, as Christ followers, you should work as unto the Lord. And he uses a couple of adjectives here in verses five through eight. He says, work with respect and sincerity, with, with integrity. The word integrity means to be intact, that everything in you is intact. There's, there's not a part of you that's doing operating this way and another part that's operating that way, but you've bridged the gap between your work and Jesus and what you believe. And then he says, work with enthusiasm. Tomorrow's Monday morning, okay? Work with enthusiasm. And he says, ultimately we work that way, watch this, because our reward isn't from earth, it's from heaven even though we're gonna get a temporal paycheck to pay the bills, ultimately we'll, we'll be rewarded in heaven for the way that we glorify God in our work. Work was God's idea. And he wants to redeem it as we go and we serve and we use the skills and the intellect and everything that God's given to us to come to bear for the kingdom. And moreover, all the passages here about work in verses five through nine mention the name of Jesus in them. Go and look for yourself. Every single passage, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, all of them have the name of Christ or or the the word Lord in them referring to Jesus. Think Paul's trying to tell us something? That there's a connection between the workplace and Jesus and the way that we we work and we serve as a reflection of our relationship of Christ. And then he says, employers, Verse nine, he says, you should treat, this is just the golden rule. He says, treat others the way you wanna be treated. If God's put you in a place, and I know many of you in here today, you do have people that report to you. If God's given you a place of leadership or influence in any form or fashion, to treat other people the way that you wanna be treated and to use your influence to encourage other people and to enable their gifts and experiences. Several years ago, I was uh, in a room where uh, Colin Powell was speaking. It was a great honor to be there. And I'll never forget, he said to leaders, to those who have anybody reporting to them in any capacity, he said, I want you to take a look around right now. And whatever you see right now in your organization and your workplace as a leader, you've either allowed or you've created. If God's given you influence or leadership, use it for the kingdom and use it to help other people. Why? Paul, Paul gives two reasons here. Because, look at verse nine, you're equal before God, You both serve God and you're both going to answer to God. That's what Paul says. You're both equal before the Lord and you both have to answer to the Lord. I love what Billy Graham said here as we think about the workplace, whether as workers or employers or both. Most of us have dual relationships. He says that the workplace will be the next crusade. He was a prophet, you know, he's ahead of his time in so many ways. And when he looked to the future, he could see a time where people may not crowd stadiums to hear about Jesus, but they'll go to the workplace to hear about Jesus. And in the way that we live and we operate and we move in the workplace will be be a way that people will understand and be able to see Jesus. Paul reminds us today in Ephesians 6, verse one through nine, that Jesus wants to live in our home and at our work. Bottom line. Jesus wants to live in our home and our work. Our two primary addresses, our home and our work. He wants to bridge the gap, if you will, the chasm, the the grand spiritual canyon that exists for many of us between our faith and our homes and our workplace. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, you reminded us you reminded us that you're with us always, even to the ends of the ages. You're with us at home, you're with us at work. Help us today to move into our families, to move into our workplaces with your grace and with a sense of your power to share Jesus and the wonderful message of grace to those that you've given to us in our family and those that you've given to us in the workplace to love and to serve. And Jesus, may we let our light shine before others so that they would see our good works and that they would give glory to our Father who's in heaven. And we pray this together, and all God's people said, amen.
1: Would you stand as we continue in worship this morning? Our Father everlasting, the all-creating One, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior.
2: I think it's a significant thing that you were here this morning, and I pray that you received something from the living God uh, this morning for you. And I want to invite you that uh, when we receive something from God, there's a way that we can respond to God, and there's a few ways I want to invite you to do that um, following the service today. Is Number one, maybe there's something that you need prayer for. there's a, that, that you would like somebody to come alongside of you and pray with you about something going on in your life. And if that's you, um, again, you can fill out one of the cards. You can um, talk to folks at our connection table or you can come up front and several of us will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Secondly, um, maybe you you receive something and you feel moved to become a deeper part of this community. And if that's you, please do fill out that card, talk to somebody, don't leave here today. If, they, if you've been prompted, um, to, to move deeper into this community, to make a connection, do it today. Um, I promise that, um, that that will be a good step in your life. And the third thing is maybe you've been moved to give um, so that God might take your, what, your gift and multiply it for his purposes. And um, if you'd like to give, you can do that online at our website um, or you can drop a gift in one of the boxes in the, the lobby today. But I pray whatever you do that you know that you're deeply loved today.
0: Um, Allow me to uh, put the name of God on you today with a benediction. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a blessing as we go? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon each and every one of you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and turn his attention towards you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his grace and his power and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Love you, New City. Thanks for being here.